Welcome to Step Up, the podcast where we learn to advocate like a woman. I'm your host, Ellen Troxclair. Each week, we talk to a different leader about how she became active in policy and politics. Whether it's joining an organization or running for office, I hope you come away feeling not only supported and inspired, but determined to step up and be a part of shaping your community and country. Hi, I'm Ellen Troxclair, and joining me today is Congresswoman Virginia Fox, all the way from D.C., um, the chairwoman of the House Subcommittee on Higher Education, which sounds like a very powerful role that I'm interested to hear more about. She served in the North Carolina State Senate for 10 years before she was elected to Congress in 2004, and she and her husband live and represent North Carolina's 5th District. And I'm so excited that you're in actually in the studio today. So we get to see each other face to face instead of doing something over the phone. So um, thank you for for visiting Austin and for making time to join us here. Well, thank you very much, Ellen. And I thank you for inviting me to be here. I was here, I think, back in April and uh, did a program with the Texas Public Policy Foundation and learned about the wonderful work that uh, the foundation is doing. And uh, I'm very pleased to be invited to come back to do this. Great. Yeah, it's it's been... Um, really interesting and educational so far, the the women that we've talked to and just the commonalities and challenges they faced when they ran for office or what barriers kind of kept them from getting involved in the first place, uh, but also really inspiring to see how many women overcame those and are really incredible leaders, both, you know, in our local state and, and national level. But how, what was your journey like in order to get to where you are today? Well, I, um, I was born in New York City, but uh, we moved to North Carolina when I was six and a half years old. And so I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, very, very poor. I lived in a house with no electricity and no running water. I was 14 before we had electricity and running water in our house. So I come from a very disadvantaged background. And I tell that story not to brag or to complain, but I particularly tell young people that we live in the greatest country in the world Mm -hmm. where somebody with my background can wind up in the Congress of the United States. So that's my background. I worked my way through college, took me seven years to get a college degree. I was married, had a child during the latter part of that time. Um, My husband also grew up extraordinarily poor, but uh, we we came up at a good time. We grew up in the 50s, 40s and 50s, and uh, I feel like a lot has to do with the period of time that we grew up in. Uh, We went to small schools in different counties. We didn't know each other. Uh, But it really is the country where people with any kind of a background can succeed. I always say to young people, if God gave you a talent, if God gave you a skill, you can develop that talent. You can develop that skill in this country if you work hard at it. Um, Now, How I got started is um, after uh, we both got our degrees at the University of North Carolina, we moved back to the mountains to live because that's where we've always wanted to live. And I was working at Appalachian State University, and I was going to uh, school board meetings as an observer for the League of Women Voters to make sure there was a citizen at these meetings. Sometimes there was no press. Sometimes there was nobody there. And the league wanted somebody to go. And one night, the school board, composed of all men, I have to say, 
was being particularly incompetent. And uh, this man sitting next to me said, why don't you run for the school board? And I said, oh, no, I'm not qualified. Well, I had a master's degree. I was teaching at Appalachian State. I had a child in school. And he said, you mean you're not as qualified as those turkeys are? And I said, well, actually, I am. But that is an issue for women. Most of the time, women want to know exactly how to do a job before they will get into it. And um, it, it it is a challenge sometimes to get women to reach out, to go into something that they don't know exactly how to do, mm-hmm. and to take a chance. Mm-hmm. So I went home and told my husband, I said, you know, Ron Hester thinks I should run for the school board. And he said, I think that's a good idea. Actually, I give my husband credit for being much smarter politically than I am. I'm more the policy person. He's much more a political thinker. And so I ran for the school board, and I lost, unfortunately, the first time I ran, by about 200 votes. Mm-hmm. And But I learned a lesson. I learned how to run. And so I ran the next time with encouragement from people, and I won big. I was the top vote getter. Wow. And I ran two more times for the school board. Now, I, I liked at the time running for the school board because it was nonpartisan. However... The parties do back their candidates, Mm -hmm. and so it's not strictly nonpartisan, but it gave me an opportunity to work with both Democrats and Republicans. So, man, I have so many questions about that story because it is so... Uh, unique, first of all, to I think you were the first person in your family to graduate from high school. That's correct. A lot of times we hear that's that, you know, first person to graduate from college, but high school is um, is something that's that's certainly unique. Was there something that um, that like what was it? Was it graduating from high school or graduating from college? What was it that um, helped kind of propel you to to a place where you were able to get out of the poverty that you mentioned? Right. Well, I was in deep poverty, and I knew education was the answer Mm -hmm. to getting out of poverty. My senior year in high school, my junior and senior years in high school, I was the high school janitor. I stayed after school and swept out the school, and I had a student teacher my senior year in high school who, in my senior English class, who was also staying after school, and he encouraged me to go to college. He said, you're a bright woman I was actually number three in my high school graduating class. Um, I always had poor eyesight, so I never participated in sports, and I loved to read. Mm -hmm. So I was a good student. And my parents, although they had only sixth and ninth grade education, encouraged me and my brothers and my sister to do well in school. And so I did. So at the last minute, I applied to a junior college that was 12 miles away, and I commuted with uh, three guys that I graduated with. So that got me started. I dropped out, worked, went back to school, dropped out, worked. So it took me seven years to get my degree. But I always knew education was important to get. Again, I wanted to be a high school English teacher. I never got to do that because I was too poor to do student teaching. But I wound up getting a degree in English, then going back and get a master's in college teaching and being able to work at Appalachian State University. I ran a program for poor students who should have go to college but wouldn't call the Upward Bound program. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was able to work. I've always been able to work 
in ways that I could help other people. And it's been a very fulfilling career where I could use my limited talents, and I will tell people my talents are limited. You also mentioned that a couple of other really consistent things that I've heard from the women who have been on this podcast that it took you, that it was someone else who asked you to run that you wouldn't have thought about it by on your own. And that your initial response was that you weren't qualified, even though of course you were qualified. So thank gosh for that person. And right. um, thank gosh for your willingness to, to step outside of what was your, your comfort zone at the time and, and, I, and realize that you were the right person. And you have to understand, I lost that first election. But I came back. And it can be sometimes very, very vicious. And even in a little old school board election, people would tell stories about you that weren't true. And it's hard to withstand those kinds of things. But I lost and I learned you can live after losing. Right. And and that's a tough thing to do. But I haven't lost an election since then. So I don't you don't like to lose. Nobody likes to lose but you find you can survive Mm -hmm. after losing. And what I've learned over the years is that there is life outside the political world, and people who have left will tell you that. But if you just look around you, I mean, I live in a beautiful place, and I say, okay, Lord, so if I lose, I get to spend more time at home. Not a bad bad. thing. Not a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned the League of Women Voters and your membership in that organization that was kind of the reason that you were attending the school board meetings. I tend to think of that organization, I know they're officially nonpartisan, but I tend to think of that organization as as left-leaning. It was... It was then, as it was fairly left-leaning then, but even more so now. And I think what happened is over the years, more and more women went to work. In the days when I was a member of the League, a lot of the women did not work and stayed at home. And so it was a little more balanced. There were a lot of, and I think now what's happened is more women have gone to work and there are fewer women in that organization and in other organizations like that. And so it's extremely left-leaning now. Uh, What I did later on was to join the Rotary Club. I was the first woman to join the Rotary Club in the town where I was the president of a college. And I, I have felt that it's better for women to be integrated into the mainstream clubs like Rotary, Kiwanis, Civitan, Ruritan, and you see women have come into those organizations over the years. And I think that's a positive thing. So that's your advice maybe for somebody who is looking to get more involved is to look for those organizations. And even when I was president of a community college, rather than gravitate to education organizations, I gravitated to the business organizations because I wanted to learn from the people. I wanted to be with people that didn't think exactly the same way I did. I wanted to be with other people who thought a little differently. Exactly. So fast forward to today, um, you are serving in Congress. And what I mean, what is what does it mean to be a chairwoman? I just have all these practical questions of of what is what does that really look like? What is your day to day? How do you get appointed? What um, what power does that give you? Well, I am not currently the chair of the uh, higher ed subcommittee. Um, There are two ways that you get to be the chairman of the committee 
committee. One is longevity. That helps. So I've been on the committee for 15 years. When I first went, uh, the chairman of the committee at the time was John Boehner. He asked me to be on the committee because of my background in education. And in fact, I was the only Republican who had any background in education. So I served on the committee, and then I gradually worked my way up in the ranks of the committee. So two years ago, three, almost three years ago now, I was actually the number two person on the committee, but the number one person on the committee did not want to be the chair. So I ran for the chairmanship, and you do have to run for it in the Republican uh, conference. And then we have a steering committee make, made up of representatives from all over the country. Our steering committee has about 24 people on it, and you make a pitch to the steering committee to be appointed as the chair. So I was appointed to the chair by then the speaker, uh, but on the recommendation of the steering committee. So it's not automatic within the Republican conference that you can get it. And I believe the Democrats have a similar situation, although I believe they value seniority more than the Republicans do. Republicans believe uh, experience is important, but also expertise is important. So, what what are you what are you optimistic about right now? What are what policy issues are exciting to you? What legislation are you working on? Kind of what what gives us hope going into the the next year? Well, um, I have a bill that I hope is going to pass uh, the House very soon and be signed by the president. It passed the House um, earlier this year. It's called the Great Act. It's a bill that would put online all the information about grants that the federal government gives out. The federal government gives out about $700 billion wow. in grants every year in many different departments. So this way people can search online mm -hmm. as to what's out there and they can put their reports in online. It will save the nonprofits a lot of money. So someplace like the Texas Public Policy Foundation and other places that go after grants will find it much easier to find the information and be able to report on it and other people can do the searching also on it. So I'm very excited about that bill. Um, Thank you for it, doing that. It's yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing just the slower pace that the government moves. At. You know, you wouldn't think that that would be something that would that would still be that would not be online, that would not be searchable, that um, that you couldn't apply for. But but yeah, I'm sure that's going to streamline the process for a lot of organizations. And when you're talking about that amount of money, you want um, you want the the most qualified people to receive the grants. And in order to get those people. They have to know where to, how to find them and how to apply. Thank you for making the sacrifice that you are and for spending your time um, kind of communicating not just with your constituents, but doing the work on behalf of the, of the rest of the country as well. Let me say, yeah. while I've been in Texas, I have met with education people. I met with Austin Community College people yesterday mm -hmm. for a couple of hours and toured one of their campuses. And this morning I met with the Texas uh, state system. And I am so impressed. I've been impressed for years with what Texas is doing in education. And I have to say, I think Texas is really leading the country in many, many ways in terms of meeting the needs of the country and meeting the needs of the state of Texas 
with education and uh, figuring out how to improve what's happening mm-hmm. in education here to help people gain the skills they need to fill all those jobs. You know, Texas is just booming. Everybody knows that. And we all in the country can learn a lot from Texas and particularly what's happening in education here. Well, it's uh, thank you for uh, for taking the time to see what's going on in our state and for taking whatever lessons, whatever you think we're doing well, back to back to Washington. We're certainly yes doing the best that we can to continue our thriving economy and and providing people with good education so that they can move into those high paying jobs is, is certainly an important piece of that. And in the last session of the legislature, the legislature passed a bill to um, help. Uh, businesses and industries do more with apprenticeships. And that effort was led by SMB engineers and const- uh, construction mm-hmm. down in Houston. Um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Jimmy Slaughter uh, has been an advocate for apprenticeships for a long, long time and was able to get a major bill passed in the legislature. And I'm so proud of him because he helped uh, get the legislature focused on this issue of apprenticeships. And again, I think Texas is rounding out all of its education programs with dual enrollment programs, um, skill-based programs, baccalaureate programs, all of the programs, lifelong learners, stackable credentials. It's really impressive. Good. Yeah, we could we could probably do a whole other podcast on how to get uh, with Mr. Slaughter, did you say his name was? Yes. Because <laughs> it's, it's amazing that someone, a private citizen, was able to get Take, take an idea to the legis- to the Congress and get something passed like that. He, he has been pushing it for a long time, and I told him he's very lucky that he's lived long enough to see his idea come to fruition because many of us don't have that, don't get that reward here. Yeah. And so it's, it's a great blessing to see somebody who does that. And he's a great lesson. Well, you, it sounds like you uh, like, enjoy visiting Texas and you are, you're welcome anytime. Thank you. Uh, do you, can, can you tell people how to get in touch with you online or? Sure. What I would recommend to people is uh, go online and go to um, uh, fox.house.gov to go to my web, to go to my website and then go to the education's uh, committee's website. And I'm also on the oversight and government reform uh, committee. So I do, I, all of us have to be on two committees. So even if you're the lead Republican or the chair of a committee, then you're on two committees. So I'm on two very exciting committees and very, very blessed to have that opportunity. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to hear your story and to know more about the issues that you're working on. We're so grateful for your time and um, look forward to continuing the work that you're doing. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me today. I'm very grateful to you. Do you have a story or a question you want answered? Send me a note at ellen at stepuppodcast.com. Also, give Step Up a rating and review in Apple Podcasts so we can reach and inspire more women. Don't forget to subscribe. I'm Ellen Troxclair. Thanks for listening. Now go advocate like a woman.